anyone my age, you promised everything would get better, everything would end up all right, you'd have a nice house and good public transport, and none of that ever happened. That anger of like, why has everything, for as long as I remember, got worse? We need to make this better. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. Today I'm speaking with somebody who was instrumental in activism behind the rise of Jeremy Corbyn. This conversation takes place as Corbyn himself will be arriving in Bristol soon, speaking at the Bristol Transformed Festival. And our guest this week is Isaac Hopkins, who was involved in founding the festival. He's been involved in Bristol Momentum and the Labour Party and currently works for the University and College Union. An allotment here, a man with ADHD, he's a bit of a left-wing troublemaker in the city. So I talked to him about politics, the composition of the radical left. Is it still relevant? Do momentum still exist and if so, why? And what does he think of Keir Starmer and the direction of the Labour Party? Enjoy. Hey, Isaac. How you doing, mate? Hello. How's it going? You invited me to come and chair a debate to do with transport, didn't you? Last, at last year's Bristol Transform Festival. Is it last year or the yeah, year yeah, before? Yes. Yeah. yeah, last year. And I think and I got an Uber down, didn't I, as well? <laughs> you did. Well, that speaks volumes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Total lack of respect for the values of what the um, the actual event was. Uh, talking about cycling and uh, um, transport issues for Bristol. I, I pulled up in an Uber and could see you tonight. So... Yeah, lovely. I'm really glad you've come on because I've sort of wanted to get you on for a little while. I think I first of all want to sort of talk a little bit about left wing politics and your kind of background into it. So, what kind of started you on your journey, Isaac, for for being a, say a little bit of a left wing agitator, troublemaker? So, you know, I was I was one of those difficult kids at school who just liked to like mostly a contrarian. I, I think my main sort of politics then was I was like a you know a Richard Dawkins new atheist. So you're like, yeah, I've got to question everything. And then I, I came to Bristol and I was like, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in, I'm going to do politics. And I, I came to UE and I was like, oh, there's not lots of politics here, if I'm honest. And then I, that my, I was about sort of 18, 19 and I saw a poster for a meeting mm-hmm. called What is Socialism? And I was yeah. like, oh, well, uh, that's for me. And that, that kind of got me into that, which is kind of like doing kind of people's assembly against austerity stuff, sort of stop the yeah. war stuff. How so old are like, you at this point, Isaac? How old are you? So I'm 29 now. So this is like 10 years ago. You came to Bristol as a student. From from Wales, is that right? Somewhere in Wales? Yes. I'm from Penarth, which where I sound like I've never met any Welsh people before in my life. It's probably the most English bit of bit of Wales, between Cardiff and Barry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you've got a slight twang, but not like a full on Welsh accent. A slight twang. The more I talk about it, the more it'll like come out. But uh, <laughs> usually yeah. it's uh, uh, certain words. If I say seven or valleys, then then it sort of uh, pops up. Bristol in a way then. Bristol was what sort of set the tone for your sort of political direction then, yeah? Yeah, definitely. It was, it's, I, you know, there's, there's just a lot more of that sort of thing here. Like I wasn't too far away from Cardiff, but even Cardiff isn't like. Mm isn't wildly political there's kind of like ambient anti-tory kind of sentiment in wales sort of in general yeah. but like no, nothing kind of not these big protests that you saw here and i came here and something was oh you can organize these big street protests you can you can know book loads of buses get people to london i was like oh great so i just sort of got involved in that yeah 10 years ago and that's that's kind of been it ever since really and then 
sort of through that kind of mm. ending up in the Labour Party via via Corbyn, sort of as many people about my age did, I suspect. So yeah, that was about yeah. So I joined just after the 2017 election, although I did help with the first leadership campaign. And you were quite prominent in being involved with Momentum as well. Yeah. So I sort of, yeah, through that kind of like, yeah, helped, helped up the first Jeremy Corbyn leadership campaign, did the big meeting in like Malcolm X Centre, which was kind yeah. of mad because it was like, I saw Jeremy Corbyn speak at this sort of little festival thing in London. And I, at that time I was like, yeah, I'll never vote for the Labour Party. You can never like pay me to vote for the Labour Party. And mm. then I saw this guy talk. I was like, oh my God. Like, this, can I just jump in there? Is that, is that because the Labour Party wouldn't be left enough for you at that point? Is I that was, what you mean? Yeah. yeah. So my, yeah. my politics at that time, so this was like under, just after Ed Miliband. And like my politics were like, it's very much about anti-austerity, yeah. anti-war. And, my, you know, my understanding of the Labour Party was the party of the Iraq war, which has been like sort of the formative things of my childhood. Just sort of seeing that unfold and then like fighting austerity while the Labour Party were going, oh, we're going to, you know, do better austerity. And so I, 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 I remember during the 2015 election with Miliband, I was like, well, I'm, I wouldn't support this party. Like this is the austerity party and my, my politics is anti-austerity. And yeah. then suddenly you see Jeremy Corbyn talking. He's he's saying, yeah, no, we're going to fight this. And I mean, at that time, when I saw him talk and I agreed to do a meeting for him in Bristol, like at that meeting, we're like, I'll be really great if we get his come second, Jeremy. That'll really, yeah. that'll really show him. We'll really prove that this is. And then obviously, and that was like the first meeting at the Malcolm X Center where suddenly like loads of the media turn up. So you have the BBC and ITV. And yeah. like, there was like, it was like 500 people there. It was completely packed, people outside, all the side rooms. And you're like, oh, yeah. we, might, we might actually, might actually do this. And then yeah. sort of, and then it, obviously he did win. And then, so yeah, so off the back of that, I kind of, I sort of still a bit reluctant. I was like, well, I, I want the Labour Party to be good, but I'm not quite ready to like commit. And then after 2017, I was sort of like, maybe we can go all the way with this. And so like that was what kind of got me involved in sort of started this thing called Momentum Youth, which is like young people, and then got involved in like Momentum kind of on the what we call the organising group, sort of the citywide and sort of southwest sort of. As part of, yeah. let me just joke, because some people may or may yeah. not be familiar with this. So, so Momentum was a was a kind of a, a parallel organisation set up by John Landsman. He'd been around on the left for yeah for a number of years. Or, or probably was he? In his, he must be in his seventies now, late sixties. Yep, something like that. He's a he's, yeah. a he's a Labour yeah. lifer. He's been around left wing politics within the sort of Labour Party in and out for a number of years. So he was involved in setting up an organisation called Momentum, yeah. which. I guess was a grass it sort of defines itself as a grassroots movement that sort of pulled a lot of people into the Labour Party and sort of sat kind of adjacent and alongside Jeremy Corbyn's sort of Labour at that time, sort of unofficially, yeah? Yeah, so like, I mean, the Labour Party, you know, it, it was what they call this broad tent party, right? So you've got everyone from like Tony Blair on the kind of, on the right of the party to like, you know, you could say people like me on the sort of on the left of the party, and the, and within Labour to try. Would you define? Sorry, sorry, I would you define yourself? I just want to as something. What would you say you I, were? I would, I would, I would be very comfortable calling myself a Marxist. Um, which okay. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but yeah, so I think that you kind of had you have you know you have these Blairites to Marxists within the Labour Party, and you always have ever since this sort of beginning. And yeah. like what you have is factions within that, so you have like what's now called, I think, Labour to Win. You have Open Labour, which is more in the middle. And you have Momentum. And there's other ones as well, like Campaign for Labour Party Democracy, like these little groupings within the much wider organisation that sort of try and steer it in sort of different directions or like, you know, in different areas, trying to do different things, try and get their candidates sort of to be councillors and that sort of thing. And it, it is just the nature of, 
of a broad-based party. I mean, the Conservatives got something similar. If you look at like like the stuff that Jacob Rees-Mogg is involved in, the kind of EU yeah. research group, I think it's called, like that. And you have like the Fa- the Fabians in Labour. Yeah, you've had a number of organisations. But this was probably the first time that an actual grassroots organisation kind of really, really engaged with young people on this scale. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, you know, there, and when I say always... young, under under thirties, under thirties. Yes. Say, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, our, our momentum youth kind of age cutoff was about thirty-five, because because yeah. actually, like, momentum was for all these kind of things you hear about it of momentum thugs. It was like mostly kind of nice old ladies. If you actually look at who joined, it was like mm. it was lots of retirees. Like it, it, it actually wasn't loads of young people, particularly loads of young people who were like super engaged and knew how to do it. Because like when you join the Labour Party, it's incredibly complicated. So we tried to set up this thing, momentum youth, just to try and like help people who kind of got inspired and be like, all right, here is here is the levers of power you can pull and here are the things you can do. Here's where you can try and make change. And, you know, if you wanted to be a councillor or wanted to like be on these like regional things for Labour, we can help you do that and we can help you sort of work out how those things work. That, that was kind of the idea of it, was to just try and demystify this incredibly complicated thing. Yeah, that that's kind of... And then, yeah, so from that, I've been sort of involved in Momentum. Still am involved in Momentum. You are still involved, Momentum. okay. Because the, yeah, mem- so- the membership, because there is a sort of a common misconception that after... Because obviously Momentum gathered a lot of grind around the 2017 election, which resulted in, mm. a, you know, in a hung parliament. And, and then the, the 2019 election after, and subsequently Corbyn standing down, being replaced by Keir Starmer, a lot of the membership, or there were sort of rumours around momentum, just kind of stopped. But, yeah, but, so but it, it kind of did for a bit, and then there's like a there's like two momentums now, isn't there? Is that right? It's like the the, the, the sort of Judeo People's Front, the people in front of Judea <laughs> right, scenario. Yeah. Oh, I, I wish it was that easy. There's probably way more than that. No, you kind of so you kind of yeah. After like 2019, and after the sort of defeat of 2019, and I, I think they're not helped by the fact that we went sort of straight into kind of a lockdown within a few months before people even got their bearings. Yeah, the, yeah. The, that kind of energy that we'd sort of been relying on of everyone, you know, people who are willing to give years, but, you know, I, I dedicate five years of my life unpaid just to like basically all my spare time and quite a lot of my time I should have been working, like yeah. <laughs> working on this, like we're going to get elected. And then, so then without that energy, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say, yeah, momentum is as powerful as it's ever been. Cause it's not like, yeah. we, I think we went from a peak of like 40,000 members nationally with Bristol being, I think the biggest sort of single grouping of that or Bristol and Southwest to we're about, about half that now I would say. And like, also you are, you have the problem of like this sort of party is being a lot more kind of punitive to left-wing members that like you saw yeah. in the kind of the last council election, a lot of momentum aligned candidates like a week or two before, were just sort of booted out for kind of quite spurious. Yeah, we'll go. Of... I want to get onto that in a bit about how the, <laughs> how, the, how the party sort of reacted and, and and the sort of positioning of of its political position now and 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 some of the stuff that's going on. But just just on the momentum thing, I guess it would be seen as a, a composition of the, the the more radical left of 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 Labour and even further than that, as you said, towards sort of, you know more of a sort of Marxist. You have people coming in from rejoining the Labour Party from sort of militant and socialist worker from sort of an era that, that I would kind of know. And I just wondered whether a gathering storm has in effect been kind of halted almost to the point that it probably arguably now it has little bearing and is largely ineffective running alongside the Labour Party. So what's his purpose 
now? And how does yeah. it feel? How does it feel to be so close to radical change and then now feeling anything but that? Yeah, well, I, th- I think I think on the sort of on the second point of like how does it feel? I mean, it, it was it was obviously gutting, right? Like, I, and for for everyone involved, even tangentially, I think even people who weren't putting as much time in were, were gutted. I sort of got involved in label when I was about what, 24, early 20s mm-hmm. and like, and through yeah. to 2019. And you're like, yeah, all of your spare time. I, I, you know, I met my partner in Momentum. All my friends are in Momentum, except my, all these people I knew in Bristol. And you're, you're just working towards this thing. It's like very clear and obvious. All we need to do is get across the line of an election and get a majority. And we can actually sort of start to make these changes, really kind of like start to try and, bring the tide back of everything that's going wrong, try and make, you know, empower the trade unions, like empower these protest movements to make change, not just be politicians making change, but people empowering Mm. people to make change for themselves. And like to suddenly go from that to what momentum now is sort of promising or like is trying to offer, which is like, I, I still believe that, the vehicle to make change in Britain is via the Labour Party and via a Labour Party winning okay. an election. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm still a member of the Labour Party. I, I also yeah. vote for the Labour Party. But it, it, it is, it's, it's a much less enticing proposition to be like, oh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of be here, sort of gain an understanding and continue to understand how it works, see where we can make differences see where we get a few councillors you know if we can so you've not can been tempted a- like you know there are a number of people that have said i will not vote for labor that probably will sort of go back into perhaps maybe not even voting or into more protest movements a lot of people obviously in bristol within the corbyn labor are sort of flirting with the green party a bit or sort of leaning that way that isn't something that that entices you you're you're, you're no. still no, no I, I think I think you know we, we do have a really interesting thing coming up in Bristol with with the sort of the, the removal of the mayoral position where you know I yeah. think that there, there will be space for left-wing labor councillors to be working you know productively with with these with the greens and sort of mm. on left-wing things I, and I think I think there could be something interesting there if it's done right and I you would hope that tribalism on both sides isn't going to get in the way of that. Because I think there yeah. is possibly an opportunity to make this positive change. But I, you know, I, I'm, you kind of get institutionalized to a certain extent. I'm, I'm a, I'm a labor man now. And it's kind of, I definitely have pulled back from just being about elections. I'm, I'm sort of, my, my activism is yeah. sort of moving more widely than that. But I, I think electorally, Can we, can we think, touch it? Can we just briefly, yeah. I think it's important to look at perhaps what looked quite an exciting time, particularly for, for young people of the left, it feels quite disillusioning now. And that's obviously contrary to a lot of other people that look at the polls and think, well, you know, this is, this is you know, Labour look like they now have a chance to potentially get into, into power in May, and that's the most important thing. I can definitely sense a swell of disappointment, or dare I say, some young people perhaps even thinking that that was the one opportunity we actually had in a generation for real radical change and this sense of just completely disillusionment and that anger being sort of pushed towards Starman now. Do you sense mm. that? Do you, do you feel that kind of almost like a bit of a loss or a bit of a bereavement or a bit of cynicism towards politics? You know, the wind taken out of everyone's sail a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's this mix of you have this huge defeat of something you've worked for, for for years and then you have someone like Starmer who came along and like, kind of promised a kind of 
continuity with what with Corbynism, but you know he was going to be a bit more professional. He was going to wear a suit. I, you know, I I know lots of people. Momentum members, a fair amount of momentum members, didn't vote for Rebecca Long Bailey, but they voted for Starmer. Do you and, believe it at the time when he said it? No, I I, I didn't, and I tried to <laughs> tried to tell people it wasn't going to be true. But you know, it, it people just want you know after you've been you know knocked down like that, I think someone who promises you this kind of like alternative but maybe with a bit less like hatred coming at you from all sides from the media and whatever because he's going to do it a bit more of a polished way i think i think that is that was obviously very like enticing to people so i think there's that there's that betrayal of like he slowly he had these 10 pledges and they've all gone they've all kind of he's sort of given up on them and and it's happy to say quite yeah he's playing to a different demographic a different crowd he wants to almost consciously create daylight between what happened before without dwelling on it too much but obviously 2017 Lots of people were really, really surprised how it went, um, particularly in the media. What was really going on behind the scenes? Was it true that Labour MPs were not canvassing, were were sort of turning against him left, right and centre within the party? Oh, yeah. I mean, so we, we had it in, in 2019. We were getting hundreds of people to go just rock yeah. up where, where previously they'd have like five or six. And like, mm. and we, even in Bristol, I mean, we sent like, yeah, we sent like, we sent like 70 people to like Barry. They, they were well, well received there by the candidate anyway. But like, yeah. you know, we went up to places and these kind of more right wing Labour MPs were just like horrified of, of this kind of what well, they perceived as this rabble turning up and were like, doing everything they could to almost shake them, being really dismissive, like outright rude to some of them. And so, so you have that. And then you, you've you also got like, you know, you have lots of the stuff that we've seen of like internal kind of national stuff of like not putting funding in some places and like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And that, that like, like people intentionally trying within the Labour Party, as far as I can tell, to intentionally throw the election. Briefing uh, against them in the press as well. Briefing yeah. against, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, you have like this the change UK people who who broke away and are now being welcomed back with open arms by by Starmer, despite the fact that they they tried to deal this kind of death blow to the yeah. party when it had a had a quite a good chance of like of like actually like winning and doing something at some point like between 2017 and 2019. Like yeah. so it's it's like you had a lot of that of like a lot of the party machine doing everything it could to like just make ev- make just gum up the gears. Why do you think people were doing that? If we take it as, as good faith, and some people will push back at that and say that you know this is it's a conspiracy sort of you know and it's all exaggerated, mm. etc. Some people will say that you know whether that's true or not, I don't know. But the real question is why? Why would people I, within their own Labour Party want to stop Labour getting elected? I think I think it's kind of easy to kind of get drawn into this idea of like individuals conspiring but what, what i actually think is, i mean the labor party for basically its entire history from when it was like f- founded and the kind of tensions between the labor and like the independent labor party and the, at the time the communist party like there's the, the labor party is, as an organization has always had this sort of inbuilt thing to try and mitigate its left-wing flank in, in a way that's almost opposite to like the conservative party where where the conservative party kind of absorb this energy of an organization like ukip like they, they have this kind of these right wing outriders and they kind of they use that energy, whereas the Labour Party is almost like a kind of pressure valve. Like it's there to kind of when you have this big upswell of like radical energy, like lots of young people wanting to get involved and that sort of thing. The, the Labour Party is designed almost not not like consciously, but just over the years it, it, to try and like dampen that down. I, you know, and I think on, on but an why? Individual but level, why? What, what is it? What is it? Why are they so keen to dampen that down? Then I, I young, think young that, young people that want radical change, 
want to see, you know, kind of the, the, the tenants of the left. What is it about that that's so threatening? That That's the bit I, I want to try and unpick. It's about, it's about trying to maintain the, the status quo, right? Like, I mean, you look at lots of the, like the Change UK people are a really interesting example of like, lots of them who haven't come back into politics, they're now like lobbyists for like, private water companies or like, you know, those sorts of things, kind of privatised utilities, which should be owned by like the country and should be like done not for profit. Like the the people who hold these roles, like Owen Jones's book, The Establishment, is a, is a really good example of this, this kind of revolving door from MP to lobbyist. And th- those people, like they, they've lined their nests and they, they want to kind of maintain that. And, and, and the people who are, are the types of people who could do that are the ones that are chosen to be MPs. It's kind of, it self-perpetuates itself. Like, it, I think consciously they would say, oh, well, if Corbyn wins, he'll ruin it so badly and that no one will ever vote Labour ever again. But I unconsciously, or like, I, I think there was this fear that like, but what if he does do it? What if he does take out all these blockers on the trade unions? What if he does empower street movements to demand more and more and more? Like, the, that that completely changes the game. and. And they they don't want that. They it suits them how it is, and it mm. they want to maintain that. They they want to maintain that, you know, with with softer edges. But that is what they want. And you, like, so you some, accept that that's the Labour Party's always. I mean, some people there's a phrase in the Labour Party owes, owes more to Methodism than it does Marxism. That actually, you know, that, that there is this is an ancient, this is an old kind of battle that's just being repeated and recycled. You know, when I, I in 1983 obviously happened with. Tony Benn and some of the same characters were around. So there is this battle between the the left and the centre or the centre-left, however you want to define it, it, within the Labour Party that's always been there. So, But what I find really, really interesting is the the people that I knew that were most anti-Corbyn, anti-this movement, and and before 2017 as well, not just continuing, and and they feel validated now and will constantly Mm. make reference to it, are people that were often quite radical in their 20s in 1983. And, mm. you know, you think about New Labour, they're all lapsed communists, aren't they? You know, people yeah. like Mandelson and Charlie Whelan and, you know, and even Brown was left. And then they had that moment where they kind of switched. And I think that some of those same characters were still around Momentum and were still around the Labour Party of Corbyn's Labour. And mm. I think that they felt that this is taking us back and, that, and they felt that... that Young people, I think, were being manipulated. It was a cult. You know, magic grandpa was thrown around, wasn't it? But, <laughs> but actually, these all these young, naive... I'm, I'm doing quote marks now. Young people are, you know, idealistic and being caught in a trap by these old lefties that were yeah. irrelevant in the party for years, and they're gaining power back now. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I mean, honestly, I think if if us young lefties had listened a bit more to the to the older the older people about in momentum who were trying to warn us a bit, like, no, this this is what might happen and this is how it will go. If if you know if, if we'd allowed ourselves to be a bit more indoctrinated, we'd probably done a bit better. Like, I, it it wasn't that. I think you anyone my age has just seen everything get progressively worse. Like, you promised everything would get better and that you could do certain things and. Yeah. Everything would end up all right. You'd have a nice house and be able to, you know, good public transport. And then none of that ever happened. And, and that was it. It was that anger of like, why has everything, for as long as I remember, got worse? Yeah. Yeah. We need to make this better. And that's the irony of the yeah. Brexit scenario, that actually you could sort of argue that the, the the frustrations of the populist right, people in working class communities that felt left behind 
the yeah. vote in against the EU and 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 you know people on the more radical left young people that feel like you just said economically they've been left behind by the generation before them so the very people that were most angry and vilified about Corbyn and everything he stood for were middle-aged people that did quite well under new labor yeah, centrist dads yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i mean I, I adam calls me a centrist dad now occasionally as a slur but but yeah yeah you know that kind of sense that they did okay said that but what i never quite understood i don't really you know i have to be careful to take a position but what i never quite understood is how it was a bad thing that young people were galvanized in politics i had not seen young people like this in fact i used to moan about young people not being politically engaged you know i was from that generation when you were and then for like you know 15 years everyone was just getting wasted all the time and then suddenly it was like oh shit loads of young people are out protesting again they're politicized again i just find it really really hard to understand and unpick why that was such a threat and such a bad thing well it's i think i think i mean i mean you see it now like Alistair Campbell has just got a book out explaining to young people how they can get involved in politics. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it, I saw that. <laughs> and I, yeah. I think, and, it, and like the thing you said before about, yeah, all these ex-Blair, all these current Blairites who used to be yeah. these radicals. And I, I think, yeah, what Corbynism did is it, it presented these people who'd been able to sit comfortably and done all right for themselves, these kind of like mm-hmm. nice, nice liberals. It went, all right, we're going to actually do the things that you've always said you wanted but said, oh, well, we can't quite do it. It's like, no, we're, we're going to take you at your work. We're going to do them. We're going to get mm-hmm. young people engaged. We're going to make these things you say you want happen. And you you can be along with this. And suddenly when they felt like, oh, maybe that's going to like, I don't know, felt like it would either threaten their position or felt like it would show them up. Because if they've been saying for years, oh, we want these things, but oh, it can't be done. And what if this project does do it? And then what does that mean about me? The analysis of why that election was lost when all those seats went, sorry, for the first time since the 1920s, 1930s, it seemed to me seems r- ridiculously uh, obvious. Yet the analysis had been about lack of leadership of Corbyn. He's an anti-Semite. He's not patriotic enough. The movement around him was dominated perhaps by young middle-class university, metropolitan type sort of people that can't connect with, you know, Northern, you know, the working class stock and that kind of thing. But but very quickly, the, the analysis of of... of of, of the fact that people just wanted to get Brexit done, got lost, and it became about Corbyn not being a good leader. Hmm. Yeah, that's that- it. And, and it kind of, well, that's because, like, the, the Liberals within... And, I mean, Liberals within, like, the Corbynism projects as well, the kind of, like, more left-wing Liberals, but they, yeah. they got what they wanted. They got their second referendum, and, it, and it, it ruined it. Like, and so I think by, like, trying to obfuscate of, like, oh, it's... And, you know, Corbyn was not perfect there's plenty of things like if Corbyn had introduced mandatory reselection like this idea that every Labour MP needs to be re-voted for by Labour members before they can run again like if he had implemented that when he, he had a chance and he bottled it like yeah. then we'd be in, sat in a very different position now where even with him gone we would still have this kind of these levers of power that we could pull that would kind of give people things to aim for but like yeah. so I'm not I, I would never say Corbyn is perfect but, but as know, a, but yeah okay okay but as a person would you yeah. say as you know as a person himself this whole thing around leadership you know they're a different type of leader than we'd had before you know the the whole thing around sort of making jam and being a bit scruffy and going to the allotment when he should be presenting you know I I quite like that I thought it was a bit different I had enough of sort of corporate politicians in suits that you know come through the sort of ranks and stuff however it soon started to gain ground and I made a couple of documentaries in areas where I was talking to people asking about Corbyn in working class communities. Yeah. And they very much didn't seem to connect with him. I would say a traditional working class sort of communities where they, I think the lack of patriotism, the, the armed forces, NATO stuff, 
kind of did affect him a bit. I just wonder whether we are, we are sometimes underestimate how sort of conservative this country is, socially conservative and culturally conservative in some ways. And I don't think he had his finger on the pulse in that regard. Would you say that was true? Whereas Boris kind of did more. So I think I think with Boris and Corbyn, you kind of have these these sort of like opposite versions of kind of of populism, right? Like with Boris, you have this kind of like charismatic leader. You're yeah. laughing with him. You're in on the joke. He's making fun of the establishment on your behalf, and he's going to yeah. undermine them and do what he wants. And he'll, you know, he drinks and he has six kids, and he, he's, you know, he's having all this fun and he's having it for you, and he's yeah. going to give you what you want through that kind of populism. And he's funny, and then, right? He's funny. And he's, he's funny. Not- yeah, you know, occasionally I think people on the left can be a little bit pious and a bit pompous yeah, and a bit like, judgmental, and actually, like people don't like that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, I, yeah, Trump's hilarious. Like, like his, his tweets are hilarious. Like, whereas, I, whereas Corbynism, you had this almost this opposite. It was almost like this kind of like negative populism. He was almost this empty space. He, he was like a very boring man. I've heard him tell a joke. It was terrible. A very yeah. boring man <laughs> who like you liked his allotment, liked yeah. making jam. And yeah. like you could kind of, especially if you were involved in corporatism, you could project yeah. onto that, which did mean yeah. that a lot of the kind of like sort of stuff that the left can bo- get bogged down in, which is less important. Like, oh, what about the flags? What about the like? Yeah, no, I don't yeah. care if someone flies a British flag. I, I'm a, I'm yeah, a Welsh yeah. nationalist, but like you know, yeah. I, I like my flag. That stuff then that trickles out. People hear that, and like you say, this kind of sanctimonious leftness, which I don't think Corbyn had. I think kind of. Corbyn was quite good at always kind of meeting people where they were. But people the, the around him then, yeah, the yeah. project came. Yeah, I mean, you you know, the whole, you know, I would this whole thing around, yeah, the flag thing is really interesting because I think, and obviously that's what Starmer, the strategy is a little bit that now, isn't it? That you, you'd see the Labour Party commerce's Palestinian flags everywhere. You know, great, I, you know, I support that. But, but actually, if you did, you know, raise an English or, or Union Jack, suddenly you can't do that. You're a flag shagger or you're this. Yeah. And as you said, you know, Welsh national, Scottish national, like that. that's okay. It seems like everyone's, everyone, if I speak, you know, if I go to certain pubs in Bristol and Aston, they feel, rightly or wrongly, I cannot be patriotic. I, you know, everyone thinks I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bigot because I'm waving the flag of my own country. It's the only country in the world where that is the case. And I think actually some of that stuff didn't help. That's probably where the project in its sort of socially conservative cultural sense missed the beat a bit i think so there's some validity to that would you accept yeah i I think so i think like i you know it what we need to to do is kind of unpick these things and find the positive aspects of it right like englishness is a fascinating example like there's there's lots of negative parts of english nationalism there's also negative parts of welsh nationalism but like you also have you have this amazing history of radicalism this amazing history of culture this like yeah 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 and like like the, the diggers, are you, you've got, like, yeah. you, you know, it's hacked to say you've got the Beatles, you've got the Rolling Stones, you, this, like, yeah. Shakespeare, there's so much to be proud of and, like, yeah. celebrate within English culture. But, like, the, the left has this sort of knee-jerk, oh, it's all bad, it's all wrong. Anyone who wants to, like, you know, do something on St. George's Day is wrong. Like, you know, you saw it around the... the like the World Cup, like, oh, look at these look at these fans doing this. I'm like, well, they're just having fun, man. Like, we have created these conditions where, like, you know, people are told, well, if you think these things, then you're right wing. But they might not be. They might be left wing on mo- lots of other things. They, you know, the monarchy or, like, you know, people who, like, there's a thing on the, a big thing on the left where it's like, unless you support complete open borders everywhere, you're yeah. right wing. 
And yeah. like, that's quite a minority position. And I, you know, I guess instinctually it's kind of one I'd like to get to eventually, but I think it's a long way off. And, and yet yeah, we're, we're telling anyone who doesn't agree with us that they're definitely very right wing. And then yeah. they go, oh, well, you know, like, but it's more like, nuanced, it's, and more complicated, isn't it? You yeah. This, tri- this tribal thinking, which is like, I am this, I have to buy into all 10 of these things. Yeah, I, I can't believe seven of them and three not, or you can't quite. And I think that that's that's the. I guess it's the purity, isn't it, of, of that? And that yeah. would be a criticism, I think. Of this, somebody once said that the left are always looking for traitors, and the right are always looking for converts. And I think there's some truth to that, you know. Yeah, definitely. That's the thing. I, I remember people about, oh, if anyone thinks like these specific things, you should never talk to them again. He's like, oh, mate, I'm not. I'm not from Bristol. I'm from like South Wales. If I if I didn't speak to everyone who did like a mildly right wing opinion, I wouldn't know that many people anymore. Like, and I think you know that's why you kind of had, especially in Corbynism, like so many of the big voices are all from London. Like, or if they're not from London, they are from very big cities, or like, or maybe from somewhere else, but have moved to London. And you know, it's it is different. There, like, you know, even in Bristol, like, you know, if you get on a train, go a few stops to like Dundry, like, you can have a very different conversation with someone than you yeah, are in Stokes. Really so you've always had, like, you've had a, you always had an awareness of that then, because I I would you know from my perspective, I would say swaves of the Corbyn left probably didn't. I think so. Like, I, I'm, from, London, like, yeah. I'm from the most liberal bit of Wales. I'm from like the only bit of Wales that didn't vote leave. And and yet, like, there's still like, you know, and you know, Cardiff is a city, and I'm not that far away from it. But like, we're still like, there is just like it's not like got that kind of I don't know, the cosmopolitan is kind of a weighted term. But like that yeah. kind of lib like hundred percent liberal outlook in quite the same way. You know, I come home and to Wales and I tell people, oh yeah, I know people in like these polyamorous relationships and blah 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 and they're like what i've never heard of this whereas like you know here if you're kind of you know if you're a bit artsy or have a bit bohemian like that's not that uncommon yeah. there's these lifestyles and like ways of living that happen here or like you know people smoke weed everywhere here and anything like that and like that that isn't the same everywhere else and and people don't quite get it just pause the chat for a bit to tell you about the bristol cable We are a cooperative organisation, which means that we have members and uh, we want you to become one. If you jump onto the Bristol Cable website, you can find out how you can become a member. You can pay a pound, two pound, five pound, ten pound a month, whatever. And you get a say in our structure. You can go to our AGMs, our events, come up with ideas on stories for the newspaper guests for this show ideas for documentaries anything really so if you are interested then as i say jump on the bristol cable website and check out how you can get involved back to the chat let's just pivot a little bit onto the idea of bristol transformed yeah um that you set up which was effectively a sort of festival of I guess, you know, you would invite different speakers and stuff. And it's coming up, isn't it, again, on the 16th of, to the 18th of June. You're not yeah, so involved yeah, yeah. now, but you, you, did, you were the founding member of Bristol Transformed, yeah? Yeah, I was one of the founders, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In- so why did, it, why did it need to be transformed anyway? <laughs> so, the, I mean, the name comes from, from the World Transform, which is kind of the, the festival, a national festival that runs, along, runs alongside Labour Conference, still does, that was set up sort of up, up around the time that Corbynism sort of kicked off. And, yeah, I mean, it was about trying to, like, you know, shift the debate and have these show people what ideas, like what we could do if we want as much as anything else, and be like, look, we could do these things. And you know, I I'd been I'd sort of done stuff as a sort of as a kind of 
in Marxist organizations before I was involved in labor who were sort of yeah. similar, like or a day and stuff. And and then I, I'd also been involved in Bristol Festival of Ideas. Like I, I sort of volunteer for them a lot in Bristol as a sort of yeah. that as a student, which is kind of that's like oh it's now Bristol Ideas, I think. Which is like a lot more, you know, every time they had to have a labor person, they had to have a Tory person. It was very balanced, very like grant funded, very like but like I got really interesting speakers then. I had really interesting discussions on, on, on all sides of the sort of political spectrum, I would say. But like we wanted to be something that was like asserted that no, we are left wing. And then we couldn't get much grant funding because most grant funding is kind of reliant on the fact that you're not political. And we're like, no, we, we are political. And it, it sort of shifted now. It, it used to be explicitly like, and we are telling you to vote Labour. That, that isn't the case now. One of the people organising it is like now a Green Party member. And like I'd say lots of people involved probably aren't in labor anymore but and it's it it was just about kind of showing what ideas and what things were possible if you won power and then also trying to give them tools to allow them to win power either like electorally or like in their workplaces like trade unions and again and again when you set that up like was you know similar to being involved in momentum that would have felt like a lot of energy a lot of optimism yeah we're gonna you know the actually real smelling and tasting that you know being close to actually being able to really really make change in society but then obviously fast forward to, to now you know that a lot of people don't share where the direction of the Labour Party so largely aren't, aren't these things pointless now wouldn't it just be just a, a an echo chamber talking shop when that has no real impact on, on the Labour Party do you know what I mean yeah, well, I think I, that is why there's been a sort of shift away from it being so Labour focused. I, and I, and I mean, it was interesting is last year we actually sold out like quicker than we ever had. Like we sold out, first of all, completely. And we sold tickets much quicker than we had before. So there was, there was definitely still like a desire for it. I, I think it, it's partly it's about like, you know, some of it is like playing the hits, I reckon. It's, it's like, you know, reliving those glory days and bringing those people back together, you know. Sense yeah. of nostalgia already. That's a very, neg- very <laughs> negative way. No, yeah. I'd say it's more yeah. like, you know, it's like we had this sort of, this movement, this community, whatever you want to call it. And like, there's still these places where they can come together and still kind of be like, oh yeah, we still, and like, and, and, now it's it's much more been about like all right how do you organize in your workplaces how do you organize protests like in the last one it was like how do you after sort of the stuff that happened it like the course and such and stuff like that it's like what if you if someone tries to arrest you like what are your rights yeah. what can you do so there's a lot more about kind of and also you know, i suppose skills. you know it's bristol transformed isn't it it's not barnsley transformed so even if like you know the politics of people of a certain age a certain demographic is still going to be totally tuned into that yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. What's, I mean, what's it? There is a Cornwall. There was a Cornwall transformed. It's now moved slightly up the road okay. to Devon transformed, yeah. and like, it's and really there is a there's yeah. a Tyneside transformed as well. There's a few across the country that yeah. are in you know aren't in Bristol, and you know in Bristol you are playing on easy modes. Like you put up a, a poster being like polit- left wing politics here, and two hundred people turn up. Like, yeah. and that that is true, and it, it's sort of one of the things where people always go, "How did you do it?" It's like, oh well, we did it by being in Bristol first and foremost. That's the that's like part of the secret. But like, you should, I, do, it, I, you should I, do it in Hartcliffe. You should do it in the I'm sure yeah. he'd love to have us. And Jeremy Corbyn's there, though, isn't he? He's, he's, he he's, is. He's speaking. Yeah, in the, I've got it in front of me now. In the kitchen with Corbyn. I'm going to click on it. Hang on. In the former, he's going to be making jam and, and talking I, about yeah. internationalism, I think. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's going to be packed. So that's on Saturday, the 17th of June at Malcolm X Centre. Um, let's talk a little bit about your role as well, Isaac. Obviously, you've been involved in sort of politics, but you actually work for the university, don't you, the college union? Yeah, the, um, so the UCU, with, the, the university the UCU, union. Yeah, uh, which and, and you've been on sort of strike recently. And, you know, obviously there's a movement towards 
well, downward trend, isn't there, for, for, for unions in this country. Union memberships declined in the last four decades. But I get feeling now that obviously there's been a, you know, winter of strikes. You know, we've had postal workers, we've had teachers, we've had even bloody solicitors, haven't we, all on sort of strike. I wonder if there's a bit of a sea change coming. People are seeing the value of unions again. That's just my sense. Do, do, do you feel that as well? I think so. I think like lots of people post-Corbyn kind of latched onto the unions as like, oh, we can do this now. I I think not taking into account that, you know, unions are also like these big, like bureaucratic leviathans that are like very hard work sometimes. Mm-hmm. But but we definitely, and there's been an upsurge in like strike days, as I understand it. I need to double check my facts there. But like, yeah. and you have seen some big wins. I mean, so the UCU has got two disputes. They've kind of won their one on the pensions. Like that, yeah. they've had their pensions kind of put back to where they were, which is quite a good pension. So now they're kind of, now this issue there is on like paying conditions like rmt had a big victory on network rail and they've renewed their strike mandate which kind of we have to get all like 50 percent of your members to vote for something which is really hard and like they've renewed that like for the third time nationally and like again for the tube just today actually recording and so I, yeah i think there's been these victories there's there's been like this there's, there's also been like setbacks it, it's hard like being being a trade unionist is hard graft and like involves does do what like i think corbynism often failed to do which you've got to have hard conversations and like People are in unions for different reasons. And, so, you know, if you're like a, a lovely, like, socialist, not everyone's going to share your views. And you kind of have to, you have to meet them where they are. Because, yeah. like, I mean, you need them to vote in the ballots, first of all. And you, you need to bring them with you. And, and I, it, it is, yeah. a, you know, that is hard. And, like, that requires a lot of patience with people, a lot of letting things go, where they say something, you know, oh, it's a bit, oh, I'm not sure about that. And, like, and, and, and being to- pragmatic, being pragmatic, yeah. I think. And, and this, you know, the criticism of, of the Corbyn left being a bit, you know, pure and, and ideologically driven and stuff like that. I guess when you're work, working in unions, you've got to give way. It's negotiation, you know, it's lobbying, it's pushing. You have to be pragmatic in your approach. And I, I think, I think actually, the the positive response to to Mick Lynch, the RMT, and the media was well, two things really. It was one how how pragmatic he was and how down to earth and how he delivered his messages in a really direct, unfussy way, which people yeah that, that probably what I would say sort of working class Tories I know were like, oh, I quite like him. Yeah, you know, there's there's no bullshit there, is it? And he's just coming back at the interview and stuff like. That. But also, I think where he was really smart and really clever when they was trying to derail everything and to say, well, what about the nurses and the doctors? Well, you know, stopping them getting from work. What about this? What about that? he just kind of gently pushed back and made a point about all workers. He was building yeah. solidarity across workforce people in other sectors. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? A bit, and I think that was quite smart, quite shrewd. That's it. People are sick of this kind of like weaselly PR triangulating, like and 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 which is what you get so much. What you get so much from politicians. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to quite say what I think. It's like, no, he said what he thought, and he yeah. was and he was a, a man of his convictions, and he he does believe that what they're doing is going to like raise up other workers because it will, and like and he could say that and he could say that confidently, and he didn't have to like pretend about anything or be yeah. like you know I, I i did this but i did not inhale any of that like nonsense it was he could say what he thought and people people appreciate that across the spectrum you know I, yeah i had friends at home and given confidence probably to other union leaders or other unions yeah. to go well I'm, you know because the rmt have got a reputation of you know hard taskmasters with negotiation and the reason why mm. you know the pay is good is because they they hold the line don't they and they always yeah. used to go back with bob crow and then before that actually other unions sort of taking their lead a little bit perhaps of being a bit more playing hardball yeah, definitely, and I think I think that is that is what we need. And I, I think I, that is you know I think of the things of Corbynism, we, some of us did get swamped in this kind of like optics. And you're like, no, we just got to like we're gonna we, we're gonna fight. We're gonna use what power we have, and we're gonna win. 
And that, that's what they're doing. Yeah. And I think that's, that is an inspiration to anyone sort of irrelevant to what you think about anything else. Like yeah. wanting to go to like, you know, show that you have the ability to change your life and make your life better is an inspiring thing for anyone. Yeah. I think when there was this upsurge in like support for the unions and something we haven't seen before, what the Labour Party at its best should be doing is it should be channeling that energy. It should be like leading the charge on this. And instead they've kind of like, they've sat out and they've kind of tried to just hope it would go away. So my question to you then is about Keir Starmer then. Do you, do you, do you think a lot of his moves now and the messaging and the, you know, he is being criticised a little bit again by, you know, by people on the left increasingly so, not just for contradicting what he said before, but also perhaps for leaning a bit, as in your, in your own words, to probably Tory voters, not necessarily Tories, or winning yeah. back that old Labour. Is that just sort of playing cute strategically? And if he does win, do you expect him to sort of go back a little bit more to, you know, principled policies and <laughs> Labour policies? You don't, no? Okay, go on, no, expand I think, on that. I think yeah. that, like, they've kind of been quite clear that they they have no intention to rock the vote. And I think we should take them at their word on that. Like, I think, you know, if, if you're someone like me and my political perspective, it's not, we're not expecting you know, him to do radical change, but basic stuff like getting rid of the anti-trade union legislation that's made it much harder to go on strike, getting rid of these like anti-protest laws. Like he could just do that and do basically nothing else and let people fight for the rest and win the rest on their own. Like he, you know, I'm not expecting him to come out and like, you know, set up a new, like a new, better NHS. That you know, he's not going to do anything radical, but he, he's he's made it quite clear he has no intention to even like make space for people to win things yeah. for themselves. I suppose and I, and I, I guess the only pushback. I suppose it's an obvious point, and it's a tired point that people make it. But it's like you know, you've got to win, you've got to win elections and stuff. And and one would hope that you know he's playing a little bit to the crowd, and actually, perhaps if and when they win, that you know will sort of come a little bit more more but, left no? but that, that radical could, change that change yeah. takes work right that you can't just like get into power and go oh actually we're gonna do all this stuff because you need to have been building up to that you need to have people ready to do that work you need to have those policies ready you need to, you need to have the activists ready to fight for those things and take those things and like you you can't just do that gear change you have to be building that up and be people being ready and like yeah i think like yeah we need to win elections fine but to win elections we do need to change people's minds and at the moment he's no intention of changing people's minds and then you get into power and you haven't changed anyone's mind so if you try and do something like a bit more to the left of what you said people don't want it because you haven't kind of brought them along with you like the, the, it's the same flaw that corbynism had but like Corbynism was at least saying it was going to do things. It, it just didn't bring people along with them. And now you've got people saying they're not going to do things, but also they're not doing anything to try and like, to try and shift the kind of Overton window, shift the opinion, shift what people kind of mm. are asking for. Or like, all the or eyes are just winning. Allowing them, all, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, That's and then what happens? You yeah. get into power and, oh, we've got to win next time. Oh, we're going to, and like, you're just not doing any of the work to like lay a stable foundation for things to get better. Like, things have got worse. And unless you make things, drastically better, they're going to still be rubbish. I think, do you um, not think they just fear sort of losing the next election? It's more about how bad the Tories are rather than how good Storm is. And actually, a question to you then really is, Jeremy Corbyn, what did he do wrong, Isaac? What did, did they What did they do wrong? I think they pulled their punches. I think there was, there was right. like, yeah. they would, like, in a way that you've seen where, like, Currently, Starmer isn't. He will, if he wants to do something against the left, he will do it. Not ruthless enough. It. No, they should have just dug, dug in, yeah? 
Yeah, basically, I think the I think yeah, like I said, the mandatory reselection stuff that should have been pushed through. Like like these 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 big democratic reforms within the party, where we've had Starmer booting people out of like blocking MPs for like being kind of off with him. Like C- Corbyn could have done that. I mean, he got pushed back, but like he was always going to get pushed back. Like like actually shoring up the project and being a bit ruthless and like making the difficult calls and not. Constantly trying to placate people who just evidently hated. Maybe he was just too nice. Maybe I mean, I, this whole, I think he probably it, was. It's, it's, a, it's the irony of ironies that he was sort of turned into a sort of. He went, you know, he's the only leader I know that went from being, you know, he's weak, he's ineffective, he he, yeah. he can't lead to this monster of anti-Semitism and uh, you know anti-patriotism, IRA loving like overnight. And I'm like, hang on a minute, he can't be both, can he? <laughs> you know I mean? <laughs> and it, to me, it just seemed like everything trying to find anything that would kind of stick. Well, what was it about him that was such a threat? That he had it, to be. It was. It was the out. promise for economic, ref, like reform. It was the the promise to challenge the power of these billionaires who own these newspapers. This promise to challenge the power of these privatized utility companies, where lots of MPs mm. go and work as lobbyists. Like by promising to make things a bit more equal and like explicitly take things away from rich people and give them to poorer people. Like yeah. then suddenly that all the machinery in the British state, all the kind of. Every lever they had from media to like, like, you know, that was a big thing, but also just like, yeah. you know, the ability to have like all these like academics be like, oh, well, I, you know, I know that he's actually definitely a bad guy and I've proven it scientifically. Like all these people who had a vested interest in ensuring he didn't win because it might, you know, ruin their pension and their chance to have a second home and wherever, mm. like that, that was it. And like, and, and but by picking that fight, and then not being willing to like follow through, Corbyn kind of sort of I think doomed himself. We were promising a kind of fairly run of the mill kind of Scandinavian at best social democracy, like and even that was too much. Even that was too radical. You know, promising anything nice. I mean, that was part of the reason why we couldn't persuade anyone. Like like in twenty nineteen, it's like we're promising them all these good things, and they're like, well. No politician has given us good things before. Yeah, free uh, internet, so, free internet. We will not. They want to joke free internet, yeah, and then suddenly it's become. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so so they did. They didn't believe. Like no one believed that. Like you could have nice things, and that voting could get you things to be better. Yeah, and like that is. I sad. think the That's strategy. A... Yeah, I think the strategy. I think that the the messaging wasn't great. It was promising too much. It was garbled. And I think yeah. actually, what you need to do is be quite focused. You know, the get Brexit done thing or the take back control. You need a message. You need yeah, a clarity across. And I think they did. Fa- I think they failed to do that. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. And like, it was, you know, it was, it was shocking to me to like, you know, I, I went door knocking in Barry, which is about like twenty minutes walk from my house in in Penarth, and to be like, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I, I, we're, we're basically the same. And they, you know, I turned up and I might as well have been an alien. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd yeah. be like, yeah. hey, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I don't live far away. This no, no, leave us alone. No, not this. Like they're all the same. And that was what you heard a lot yeah. in 2019. Is they're all the well, same. Well, you got that, did you? you, you yeah, had, all you, the time. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, there was, these- like many buses of sort of like sort of groups of people from Boy, from Bristol had- and Bright Brighton going up into these old mining towns in the north yeah. and stuff. And minibus was in it. It was just like, oh, it ain't gonna work. You know, do you know what I mean? Sometimes That's it's, it. it's like. You, know. you can't be rocking up like two weeks before the election and being like, "Oh, this will work." You needed to have been there four yeah. years ago. You needed to like be someone that they already trusted, who'd already delivered them something, like who you know something like Acorn, where they're like sorting people out, like with good housing against their landlords, that sort of stuff. Winning people things already, so that they will trust you to deliver on these, you know, what they see as pie in the sky 
promises, which it wasn't anything, you know, free internet just before we all locked in our house for years would have been pretty good. But like, you know, that but we, we just weren't there. We hadn't done the work of being in those places that we needed to be and winning them things there and then so they would believe us that we could get them bigger things in the future and if you haven't yeah. done that and like you know all these councils who are being strangled by austerity are not delivering everything's getting worse if you vote for labor in a council things get worse if you vote for the Tories in the council things get worse why would they vote for the people who are, who they see as promising like this mad list of like things when you haven't managed to deliver them a bus that turns up on time are you optimistic you know with a and presumably you want Labour, you know, you're a Labour Party member, you want them to win, you know, there would still be positive change, wouldn't there, from this, you know, this Tory rabble now? No? I think it would be less bad. I, I think there would potentially be opportunity for, like, to just push and make some positive changes. I, you know, I think that the scope of what I'm optimistic about has got uh, longer. I, I think that the timescale is is on decades rather than months, as it was previously. But I, but I think you know, you, you, you know, if you're if you're a Marxist or a socialist or anything like that, and you you want this huge change of the world, like you always have to be a bit of an optimist, right? probably a bit bit in denial. But like you know, you you do. You've got like, to take the small victories as well, haven't you? I guess it's you take the small victories, and you yeah. you you prepare to put in the work and to build organisations and people that can put in the work for years, to fight for their communities and their neighbours and, and fight for bit, bigger and better things that everyone wants. Everyone wants things to be better, fundamentally. And like that is something to be positive about. And people are inherently good and nice and caring. And I, I fundamentally believe that. And you like do. and yeah. and I think I think that we can win. It just might be a bit harder than we thought in like yeah. 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you, Isaac. I'm just kind of mindful of a few things we were going to talk about, which we haven't. I think it's quite fitting because you've got ADHD, yeah? Yep. Uh, so have I. And the fact that we've, it was on my list of things to talk about. And the fact that we spent an hour and 20 minutes, which is 20 minutes longer than I was supposed to talk to you. And we haven't mentioned ADHD once. Is there any ADHD like? I think it's classic. It's a classic case. <laughs> like other people I know that have ADHD, do you use your ADHD as an excuse for absolutely everything <laughs> that you mess up in your life? Definitely with the yeah. mess around the house, you know, if, if, if it's yeah. dirty and my girlfriend needs something clean, oh, it's not my fault, you know, I've, I've got a disease. Yes, exactly, yeah. It becomes, a, it, beca- it, it can be a, quite a convenient thing to get out for everything. <laughs> my brother does it with dyslexia. My brother will go like, oh, because he got diagnosed with dyslexia in his late 30s. And it will be something really bizarre, like, oh, no, I, I, it's like, I'd lost my temper and like threw something at the wall because of my dyslexia. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Is that correlated to that? And kind of, yeah, the the, the strangest connections. Are we, are we very, you know, very in a nutshell, are we, has everyone got something these days? Are we all, are we going a bit label crazy? Do you think? It's it's a really funny one. I, I think like there is this kind of desire to be like, why why am I why am I miserable? Why is everything so hard? It, it's connected to the politics we've been talking about, right? Everything's getting yeah. worse, everything feels harder. Oh, it must be because I've got this or that. And like, oh, you know, maybe that is true, and maybe people are diagnosed, but like at the same time, like it, it can just be that like we're being asked to do things in work, you know, reply to a thousand emails a day or whatever, like that we wouldn't have been done before. And that's a that's a ridiculous thing to ask of anyone. And like, you know, I didn't know I had ADHD when I was a chef, because like I just, things came in. I did them because I had to. And then I, I got an email job. I was like, oh, Jesus, oh, this is this is terrible. And like, 
And so I, I think like I think it is as much about changing work patterns and like the fact that everything is just harder, like at the moment. You know, it's hard and to also, see. And also the other thing as well, the ADHD is what I've realized is probably I don't know about you, but I always get accused of I was always accused of being quite rude sometimes and still am, yes. yeah. <laughs> I'm not very good at feigning interest if someone's boring me. <laughs> and what I kind of realised that's partly me because my brain just disappears. But actually sometimes people are just boring as well, aren't they? And yeah, it's that's like, it. Because because I can, you know, I can talk into you and I can talk to other people, I do it for a living. When, if someone's interested and engaging, I'm fucking right there. Like, do you know what I mean? So, so, yeah, so yeah, sometimes yeah. I think, sometimes I think you can hook it on and say it's because of this, because of that. And actually, it's like I don't know. I, I see ADHD as an, an advance. I think we're advanced. We're more advanced, actually. We are. We're yeah. like X Men. It's the next stage of evolution. I think. So, but, I think so, but ask yeah. us to do a three-hour Zoom call, and it all falls apart. That's what happened. <laughs> Many thanks to this week's guest on Bristol Unpacked, Isaac Hopkins, and we'll be back next time with another great guest and a fantastic topic. I'm Neil Maggs. Big thanks to our executive producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, and to our production team from the Bristol Cable in collaboration with Ession Noise. Also, Blue Dot for our music. <laughs>